Hey, Crime Sad listeners, welcome back to another episode. My name's Ashley, and with me always is Ricky. Hey, guys. Today, we are going back to the year 1977 to tell you about a case that may possibly be your biggest fear, or maybe it's something that you can only imagine being a nightmare. Just a precaution, this case talks about sexual abuse in graphic detail that may make some people uncomfortable. Our story this week is a difficult one, though one you might be familiar with. It's the story of the girl in the box, or the kidnapping and enslavement of Colleen Stan. This was all done by a twisted couple named Cameron Hooker, along with his wife Janice, and her knowledge and consent of his evil doings. What Colleen endured during the seven years that she was held captive by Cameron and his wife Janice is truly disturbing. Amazingly, Colleen survived this traumatic and terrifying ordeal. Many of the details that we know of and are sharing for this case are actually directly from Colleen herself, as she recounted the horror that she endured to the courts and to the press. These details paint a picture of a true nightmare that few could even imagine. On May 19, 1977, Colleen Stan, a 20-year-old woman from Oregon, headed to a birthday party of a friend who lived in Northern California. Because she had no money and no car, Colleen decided that she would hitchhike the 400 or so miles to her friends. This was something that she'd done many times before, and she felt confident that she would arrive safely at her friend's house. Through hitchhiking, Colleen had made it about three quarters of the way to her friend's house before needing a new ride. She was used to trusting her gut on whose card she'd get into. She remembers turning down at least two other cars whose drivers didn't sit right with her before getting into a blue Dodge Colt, owned and driven by the Hooker family. On first glance, the Hookers seemed perfectly nice and trustworthy. Cameron Hooker drove with his wife Janice in the front seat and their young baby in the back. Colleen, for only a short while, was grateful to have been picked up by this kind, all-American family. Less than an hour after she accepts the ride, something in Cameron Hooker began to change. His look at Colleen becomes less friendly and much more invasive as he checked her out from the front seat. Despite starting to feel less at ease in the car, Colleen stayed put, reasoning that a man wouldn't do anything dangerous while he was with a child and wife. After a few more miles, Cameron said that they wanted to go explore an area off a main road. When he pulled off into a dirt road and stopped the car, Colleen knew something was wrong. Janice got out of the car with the baby and walked away as Cameron put a knife up to Colleen's throat, threatening to kill her if she didn't obey him. He gagged her, tied up her arms and legs, and covered her eyes with a blindfold. With Colleen restrained, he forced her head inside a homemade contraption. Hooker was a carpenter and had prepared elaborately for this kidnapping. 
He had created a box that was designed to fit snugly over the wearer's head. It was lined with soundproofing material to dampen the sound going out or in. He locked the box over Colleen's head so that she couldn't see and no one could hear her cry out for help. With her head in this heavy box, she could barely breathe. Cameron wrapped her in a blanket and put her back in the car. When she heard the car start up, she assumed Janice had gotten back into the car with the baby and they began to drive again. What had begun with a spur-of-the-moment trip to see a friend had now left Colleen feeling doubtful that she would live to see the end of the day. Cameron and Janice drove Colleen back to their house in Red Bluff, California. She was guided down into the basement where the wooden box was finally taken off her head. Though she was still blindfolded, fearing for her life, Colleen followed each of Cameron's orders. She stood on a chest as he stripped her naked and tied her hands above her to the rafters. After securing her arms up, he pulled the chest out from under her feet. She kicked and screamed, but Cameron didn't do anything to help her, saying that no one could hear her and that he would cut her throat if she didn't stop. He then began to whip her, hitting her more if she cried out. After 10 minutes of this torture, he pushed the chest back under her feet and left the basement. Through her blindfold, she could see a graphic magazine with a picture of a woman tied up in a similar manner as her. When Cameron returned, Janice was with him and the couple began to have sex right there where Colleen was in immense pain. When they finished, the chest under her toes giving her balance was removed, leaving her to hang from the rafters again for 10 or 15 minutes. When she was finally taken down, the heavy wooden box was locked back onto her head and Cameron put her into another box he had designed, chaining up her feet and wrist so that she couldn't move. Colleen Stan was forced to stay this way, trapped in the basement, naked, bound, gagged, and blindfolded for five months. For the first week or so that she was in prison, Cameron left her tied to a rack where her body was stretched out and exposed to his violent behaviors. After that, when Cameron wasn't there to torture, whip, or sexually abuse and suspend her from the rafters, she was left in the box, unable to move, for about 23 hours of the day. He would let her use a bedpan to relieve herself and would bring her water and food daily, though if Colleen was unable to finish her meal or didn't obey his every command, she would be subject to more beatings and abuse. In the first six months, Colleen estimated that she was hung from the rafters and whipped at least 90 different times. It's hard to imagine enduring even one night of such pain, let alone the daily torture that Cameron Hooker inflicted on Colleen Stan, with his wife and children just upstairs. It's hard to imagine how Janice Hooker could have let this happen to a girl no older than her in her own house. And it's hard to imagine how this could have gone on for so long. To their neighbors, the hookers were quiet, young, and seemingly pretty much normal family. Cameron had met Janice when she was 15 years old and he was 20. It was her first serious relationship and they were married only a couple years later when she was 17. Throughout their relationship, Cameron had a strong interest in bondage and violence in the bedroom. 
Janice, who was young, submissive, and devoted to her husband, consented to have many of the same practices done to her, and as he would later do to Colleen. He would hang, whip, choke, and submerge her underwater to live out his violent sexual fantasies. Because he was so affectionate afterwards, Janice was able to rationalize his behavior and continued to want to be loved by him. When the couple was married in 1975, Cameron told his wife that he intended to kidnap a woman to be his sex slave. Janice thought that perhaps through this, she would no longer have to be the victim of his violence anymore. Despite this, she loved her husband and wanted to start a family. She agreed to the plan, but only under certain conditions. The couple made a deal that they would have a baby and Janice would help Cameron kidnap a stranger to be his hostage as long as he did not have sex with the enslaved woman. The woman turned out to be Colleen Stan for seven years. In addition to having Janice's support and keeping Colleen captive, Cameron Hooker also instilled fear of retribution from a fictitious entity called The Company. He told her that he worked with the company and that they had people watching her family and friends' homes in Eugene. If Colleen disobeyed or attempted to escape, they would all be killed. Cameron's lie about the company was elaborate and deeply believed by Colleen. He said that this underground organization was in charge of watching all enslaved people in order to prevent them from escaping. He would threaten Colleen when she didn't perform in the way he wanted with the company's violence. He even used Janice in these lies, saying in early 1978, after Colleen had been captive for months, Cameron told her that Janice had been a former slave who had tried to escape and the company had injured her legs in response. In reality though, Janice had only just had some routine knee surgery. Fearful of her husband's anger and violence if she did not corroborate with his story about the company, Janice kept up with this lie. Colleen lived in the confined box in the basement of the hooker house for nearly a year, and during this time, she was sexually abused daily. In January of 1978, Cameron forced Colleen to sign a slave contract that he had written up. And according to this contract, she was only to refer to him as master and Janice as ma'am, and she was to be referred to as Kay. The contract, which stated that Cameron owned her body and soul, also dictated that she kneel, bow her head, and request permission before doing anything. Though she didn't want to sign the contract, she did anyway out of fear that the company would come and harm her family. Between the contract, Cameron's violence, and the threat of the mysterious company, Colleen lived out a nightmare every day. Though he didn't initially, Cameron began to rape her despite his agreement with Janice. In one instance, he raped Colleen with his wife present, thinking that it would excite her, but it only caused her to be more upset. Ultimately, Janice didn't do anything yet to stop the violence she knew her husband was committing. Outside of this one night with Janice present, she had no idea how often her husband was raping Colleen, breaking the deal that they had agreed to. 
Later on, the hookers moved from their house into a mobile home. The mobile home was on more land, so what happened there was more private, but inside was much smaller. Without a basement to keep calling in, Cameron built a coffin-like structure into the platform of the couple's bed. It was under the hooker's bed that Colleen would live for two more years, only to be let out for small periods of time at night. Janice even gave birth to their second child in September of 1978 in their very bed, where Colleen was forced to lie underneath. As time went on, Cameron's sadistic, violent, sexual behavior never lessened. But Colleen was able to earn more freedom to move around the small home, always under his supervision though. When Janice would work at nights, Colleen would do the housework and cook dinner while both parents were away at work. Colleen would watch the children at home. During the nights, she was chained to the toilet in the bathroom to sleep there. During these years, Colleen had access to a phone, was seen by neighbors, and she was able to go on jogs by herself. But because she was so afraid of the harm that could come to her or her family by the company, or even Cameron, she never ran away, or never disclosed to others what was being done to her. Some nights, she would help Janice with her job at an electronics company, other nights, she was forced to dig a large hole in the backyard and line it with bricks. When Janice lost her job in 1980, Colleen was moved back into her box under the family's bed from 1980 to 1981. She recalls that she was raped a couple times a week by Cameron in the mobile home. One of the devastating parts of Colleen's story is that after being held captive for nearly four years, Cameron took Colleen to see her family in Oregon. When Colleen never showed up for her friend's party all those years ago in 1977, her family tried hard to find her, even filing a missing persons report with the county sheriff. But unfortunately, there were never any leads in the case, and Colleen's family had begun to assume the worst. Some had suspected that her ex-husband Tom Smith was to blame, but there was no evidence to support that theory. Trusting that he had complete control over Colleen and believing her false claims that she loved him, Cameron let Colleen call home to her family in March of 1981 and scheduled a time for them to meet in person. To test her obedience before leaving, he made her put a gun into her mouth and pull the trigger, but the gun was empty. He also told her that he had given the company a $30,000 security deposit to ensure her safety, and that if she even hinted at being enslaved by Cameron, that the company would rush in and grab her. She had no idea that it was all a big lie. For the visit, Colleen was told to tell her family that Cameron was her boyfriend and a computer engineer. Her family, just so relieved to see her again, was afraid that if they said anything wrong or pushed too much that they could lose her again. Even though they could see that something seemed deeply not right with their daughter, they had no idea that she was being held against her will. Colleen was so under Cameron's control that she did not tell her family anything about what had really happened, even when he left her alone with them. After the meeting, Colleen's family knew something was off, 
but they worried that she had joined a cult, and they didn't suspect the awful truth. When the two returned from visiting the Stand family, Cameron once again raped Colleen, and after, rather than being chained up in the bathroom, she was put back into the box under the bed. Colleen stayed in this box for the next three years, from 1981 to 1984. Though Janice knew she was there, the two children had no idea. She was let out only a few hours at a time. If Janice was ever away for the night, like when she had to undergo another knee surgery, Cameron would take Colleen out, but only to be raped again. During the years that Colleen was kept under their bed in the mobile home, Janice Hooker grew more and more upset with her husband. In 1982, Cameron told his wife about breaking their agreement to not have intercourse with Colleen. He also would point out Bible passages that validated his actions. While convincing her that if she didn't obey him as her husband, she would go to hell. And despite supposedly now having the sexual slave he always wanted, Cameron also began to want more from both Colleen and Janice. He told Janice about his plans to build a dungeon where he could house as many as four other enslaved women. He wanted to force both women into having sex with him at the same time and told them he created a schedule where he would alternate days where he would have intercourse with them. Neither woman was happy, but neither felt like they had any control to stand up against Cameron. They feared for their own lives. In 1984, after years confined to the box and seven years since she had originally been kidnapped, Colleen was beginning to earn more freedom from Cameron. She was able to sleep in the bathroom at nights and occasionally attend church with Janice. In May, she got a job as a maid at a small hotel in town, although she had to turn her money back over to Cameron, who only gave her a small stipend each week. He said that she was working to buy a house where she could live next to them. Janice, who had become deeply unhappy in the recent years, suffering from panic attacks and fearing for her own safety, started to confide in the pastor at church she attended. The pastor tried to push her to help Colleen escape, to leave her husband and to go to the authorities, but Janice was too afraid. On August 9th, 1984, over seven years after that day hitchhiking, Janice reached her breaking point. She picked Colleen up from her job and finally told her the truth. She confessed that the company who Cameron used to threaten her was fake and that the contract that she signed wasn't legitimate. The two women quietly planned Colleen's escape and returned to the mobile home. Cameron was unaware of Janice's confession and left for work the next day as normal. While he was gone, Colleen called her family and purchased a bus ticket back home. At the bus station, she called Cameron to tell him that she was leaving him for good. He burst into tears and begged her to stay, but she knew the truth and was finally free of his control. Janice, though initially leaving with the children to stay with her parents, moved back in with Cameron for a little while. 
hoping that he could be reformed and no longer want to harm women in the same ways. Despite his claims to change, Janice couldn't feel safe in their home. She worried that she would become his next victim and that he would take his anger out on her for her role helping Colleen leave. She left with the children for good. Because Janice still believed that he could change, Colleen did not immediately go to the police. She and later Janice, after she moved out, continued to call and talk on the phone with Cameron, hoping that he would be rehabilitated and reformed from his violent behaviors. When Janice didn't see this happening, she finally reported her husband to the police, three months after Colleen's escape. Janice told Red Bluff police that before kidnapping Colleen, Cameron had taken and murdered Marie Elizabeth Spanhake with the same intention of keeping her as a sex slave. Janice said that Marie had only spent one day in their basement before Cameron strangled her and the couple buried her body in a nearby park. Investigators were unable to find any evidence connecting the hookers to Marie's missing persons case, and it still remains open today. For testifying against her husband, Janice was offered full immunity, being seen as a victim herself. Colleen also testified and shared detailed accounts of the horrible things he did to her for the seven years he enslaved her in their home. When police searched the hooker's home, they found pictures of Colleen, the signed slave contract, and other damning evidence to support the women's story. When Cameron spoke during the trial, he admitted to keeping Colleen, but swore that she had consented to be there and that she loved him. But this swayed no one, and he was given a 104-year sentence for kidnapping, raping, and torturing Colleen for those seven long, awful years. Colleen Stan is now in her mid-60s and has made considerable strides in overcoming the trauma during the years in the Hooker household. She changed her last name and is currently living in California. Though Janice also lives nearby, the two don't communicate. When Cameron was up for parole recently, Colleen fought hard to keep him behind bars, believing that he could do the same horrible things to another girl. Due to the current COVID-19 pandemic, he could be eligible for parole again as early as March of 2021. Colleen's story has been made into a movie and documentary calling her the girl in the box. Popular television crime dramas, including Criminal Minds and Law and Order SVU, have based episodes on what she went through with Cameron Hooker. Despite living in a nightmare for seven long years, Colleen Stan is truly a survivor. Although this concludes this week's episode, the fear that Cameron Hooker could possibly be released into the streets is absolutely frightening. What this man has done should never be forgiven, and Colleen and his victims deserve better. We came across a petition on change.org that you can sign and make sure this monster is never released. We will include a link on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com where you can sign the petition and find the addresses where you can actually write to the state patrol board and the governor's office to express your concerns about his potential release. 
Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get updates when our next episode is out. And of course, thank you for continuing to leave us supporting reviews and spreading the word about Crime Salad. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, love, all the pain.